It's time to explore the unexplained, to delve into the mysteries of our world and the realms beyond, to seek out the answers to phenomena that defy conventional explanation. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G, where that journey begins. We are live. This is Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with your hosts, Karen Frazier and me, Chucky G, along with our wonderful uh, producer, Cheryl Knight Wilson. Hello, ladies. Hello, listeners. Welcome, world. How's everyone doing? Hi. I'm Hi. actually, believe it or not, I am doing work as we speak. Whoa. Okay. okay. Done. Okay. Only because if somebody emails me about something with work and I don't deal with it right away, mm-hmm. I forget. Because I think, oh, I'll remember. I never do. You never remember. That's why I have post-its everywhere. No, I never remember. I wish I would, but yep. I nope. just don't That's work fine. that way. No. I'm, lucky. I, I'm lucky I show up for the show, honest to God. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's the show tonight. And then there I am. Wow. Like five minutes before I'm supposed to be online, um, my thing, my my computer will send me a message reminding me that I have the show. Wow. I know. Thanks a lot. I, like, I know. And how, how long the... have I been doing the show? I would think you would be like, yeah, <laughs> 300 and like now. 303 or 304 episodes. It doesn't should, matter. No, my God. I just... You should have this down. No, uh-uh. No, that's what Jim is my social director because I just don't remember when the dates are of anything or so. Yeah, he's my social director. Let's see. It's okay. Hi, Cheryl. How's it going? Hi, it's good. I'm not working. I'm drinking a margarita. <laughs> That sounds like a lot more fun than what I'm doing. I'm going to be honest. It is. It's more fun. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, tonight we got, this is going to be the easy peasy guess because, you know, Ken's is awesome. You can talk about a million things with the guy. Ken Gerhardt, a widely recognized cryptozoologist and fielding guest investigator for the Center for Fortean Zoology. See, I even said it correctly. Yeah, that's because I looked it up and played it over the internet for you so you could hear it. That's correct, because I needed to ask, because I wanted to make sure I didn't say it. I appreciate it. I appreciate when you ask how to pronounce words you don't know how to pronounce. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and fake it. It'll sound stupid, so, you know. But uh-huh. I, I look forward to talking to Ken. I like talking to him. He's very interesting. I mean, you could just, just like a million things you could ask him. He's know? a cool dude. Yeah, he's pretty cool. All kinds well, of fun. What else has happened in your life, Karen? Not a darn thing. Now? Not a darn thing. No, I got rid of the kid to right. back to Ellensburg, so, you know. My life is, I, and I've spent the last several days cleaning up after him. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I heard you went to a wedding. I did. Uh, our good friend Ben Robinson, who's the, um, who has actually been on the show with us, mm-hmm. uh, got married on Saturday, and oh, uh, you know the the paranormal Illuminati were there. The paranormal luminaries were there. No, it was a, it was it was a really good time. We had fun, and congratulations to Ben and Nicole. Yeah, yeah, because I saw the pictures on uh, Facebook, so I'm like, I, I need to at least send them a message to say congrats. So yeah, it was nice. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So that was that was lovely. That was Saturday. I think that was Saturday. It's you know, all the blur. Yeah, a big blur. <laughs> it was all the drinks and the cigar smoking. That's what it was. Mm, I just puffed on a cigar. I didn't like smoke a whole cigar. I puffed on. I puffed on somebody's Puffin. cigar. Puffin. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Puffing is smoking, dear. Smoking is the same. Yeah, but way. I only had like one or two puffs. Is what I'm uh, saying. I didn't like, uh, you know, like. I did not <laughs> inhale. 
<laughs> I like the sound, like Puff the Magic Dragon. Ooh. I did. I did not inhale. I did not inhale, Your Honor. Oh, so, Cheryl, well, what's going on with you? Anything happened with you and the Chadster? Oh wow, just loads of fun stuff. I mean, it's just really too much to talk about. No, uh, we have also been working hard on a few few non paranormal projects, so we haven't had a lot of time to do paranormal fun stuff. But we are going to go to. Did I already tell you guys this last week or the week before? We are going to Bobby Mackey's later in the fall. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And we are very excited about that. And we're going to. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a gateway to hell. It's a gateway to hell. I don't know. That's what they say. I don't know if there's any proof cool. of that, but we are excited yeah. to check out the place, do a little investigation, see what we can find. And then next month, actually, we're going to go to Kentucky. And oh my gosh, I just forgot. What's the site? The site name, the brewery's name we're going to do a little paranormal tour at a brewery there. It doesn't matter what the name is, but it's a, it's a brewery in Kentucky. And uh, Chad wants to get bourbon. I don't know. And I've never had bourbon. It. Well, I get it, Chad. I'm right there with you. I like the bourbon. Yeah. Hey, by the, by the way, our last guest, did you guys get the email I sent you with uh, the ley lines? Uh, I sent you guys. I did. I meant yes. to acknowledge it, but remember how I said if I don't do something right yeah, away, I forget. Mm-hmm. Thanks yeah. for sending it. I haven't even. Thank you. I just took a little he... look, but I didn't get into it. Well, I asked him because I was like, well, I'm just talking to him. So I'm like, did you send it to Cheryl? And he's like, oh, I forgot. And he goes, hang on. So then also he just sent it to me. I'm like, oh, I'll just send it out. But I did put like, uh, I did bring up Google Earth and then I did the thing where it lays over it that's pretty cool cool I mean, it, i'll have to have jim do the overlay thing because yeah. i don't i don't have google earth on my computer well what you do is get just open up the email then click on the link for google earth and it'll download for free and then you click on his link and then that just downloads and when you open up google earth you go to the left top where it says file and click it and then say click it and it'll show like you know a couple files that you've downloaded and one of them will be that one and they oh click. that sounds complicated chuck <laughs> It's not complicated. It's simple. My God. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really cool, so I have to check it out because I want to check I'll out. I'll have like, Techie McScience check it out. There you go. He'll figure it out in like two seconds. Be, boop, boop, boop. It's like that. Come on. I know. That's what he's going to say. Like, just like that. Just like All right. That. Well, I do have some cool stuff if, if we can get to it. <laughs> Nobody wants to know about that, but you can do the news if you like. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> All right, let's let's just move right on, shall we, Cheryl? Let's just move right on. Just when you thought the world couldn't get any weirder, it's time for news of the strange. <laughs> All righty. So we have a, just a couple of really kind of unusual ones. I saved one for last because it kind of has to do with, you know, somebody have Ken on the show tonight. I want to ask him about this if he's heard about this. So, um, first one is, uh, the title is patient set to undergo the first world's first human head transplant. Dun, dun, dun. What could possibly go wrong? I don't know. This is it's from, is it Voan? Voan? Voan News? Yeah. Uh, so it says, a terminally ill man who is set to become the first world's first head transplant recipient says more details about his extraordinary surgery will be revealed next month. Uh, Valery Sperndanov, a computer scientist from Russia, is set to undergo the risky procedure next year. Today, the 30-year-old, 30-year-old man is in a wheelchair reliance due to a muscle-wasting disease. Announced his neurosurgeon would explain how the plan was to progress in September. So it's coming up soon. Um, says he is ready to put 
his trust in the controversial surgeon, Dr. Sergio Canevro, who claims he can cut off his head and attach it to a healthy body. I, I'm, I'm just blown away by this. Neither the exact date or location have been chosen yet, but the world's first procedures aim to take place, okay, in December. Okay, so they're pushing him back to December. of. Uh, have they I mean, done this on animals? I don't know. It doesn't say anything about that. That's what I was. Could they I'm, do cross species head transplants? Like oh take God. a fish head and put it on a human? Oh. <laughs> Would that be freaky? Or like a pig's head on a human? Well, okay. So let's think about this. What yes. cross species head plant would you most like to see, Cheryl? Ooh. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, you have <laughs> yeah, thanks. What cross species <laughs> head transplant would you like most like to see? Yeah, if you could like take. Any head and put it on your body. On in, on any human body. If you could take any yeah. animal head and mm -hmm. put it on the human body, which one? What would you do? I'm going to go with horse. Horse. Mm -hmm. Wow. That'd wow. be a little teeny body. <laughs> I was going to start with, okay. I was going to say ant, no, but cool. then that didn't no. make much sense. No, so I went with uh, horse. You know, like, this, you know, like a Beetlejuice with the little head <laughs> on the big body. Yeah. <laughs> how about what? How about you, Chuck? What would you like to see on? Oh, a I would do a wolf on oh, a human body. Head on a human body. Like a real. That'd be like a real werewolf. In like a just. Uh, Karen, yeah. what about you? Um, I think a ferret. Ferret. Because, oh, that'd be freaky. Because there are a lot of people who already look like ferrets. So why the heck not? Or a weasel. <laughs> or yeah, like I said before, perhaps a fish. Oh. Oh, that would be really freaky. A mm -hmm. fish? Yeah, that would be a little A fish head, like a salmon head. It would have, have to be like a, a fairly good-sized fish. Yeah, and you'd have to have a bowl over his head with the water so he doesn't I think die. I, I think a shark would be better. Oh, that'd be like land shark. Land shark. Yeah. Land shark. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the next one is... Um, this is kind of weird. Man repeatedly vandalizes childhood friend's tombstone over a 56-year-old grudge. This comes from the dailylocal.com. Seems legit. Mm -hmm. They say time heals all wounds, but that's definitely not true. Just ask Paul E. Donovan Jr., who admitted to repeatedly vandalizing the tombstone of a childhood friend against whom he had been holding a grudge for over five decades. Dude, really? Let it go. My God. Okay. 69-year-old Donovan of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of institutionalized vandalism of a cemetery last week. He had been arrested and charged with theft and vandalism in November of 2015 after police identified him as a perpetrator of at least four acts of vandalism against a single tombstone in the St. Matthews Cemetery in White Marsh. The investigation is a truly bizarre case began in the March of 2014 when a woman reported that her father's tombstone had the name John written all over it in orange spray paint, according to the criminal complaint. On uh, April 29th, in 2014, the same tombstone was vandalized again with the same name and the same color spray paint, the woman told White Marsh Police. Then, in December, a third complaint revealed that someone had poured a tar-like substance over the tombstone, which promptly police to set up a hidden camera to catch the vandal in the act. Okay, in May... 2015. The cameras recorded someone stealing the lights that had been placed near the tombstone to deter the mysterious vandal. Police were finally able to identify Paul E. Donovan Jr. as the villain in this story in November of last year after he covered the last name of the deceased on the tombstone with black spray paint. He immediately confessed to the crime, but his motive really shocked the police. 
The suspect claims that 56 years ago, when the deceased was 10 and the subject was 12, he claims that the deceased stole money from him and 56 years later he was getting back at him. Uh, Lieutenant Chris Ward told uh, NBC 10... I want my $2. It's probably that paper boy. Dad, my God. Dad, probably. Mm-hmm. So for 56 years, he lived with this grudge. He only realized that he had passed away within the last two years. It was later revealed that the two had actually been childhood friends until Donovan accused the deceased of stealing 300 bucks from a wooden box in his room. I guess he never got over it. At the time of the arrest, Donovan told police officers he would pay back any restitution minus the $300 he was owed over 56 years ago. Last week, a judge sentenced Paul E. Donovan Jr. to two years of probation and ordered him to pay $1,500 in restitution to the family of the deceased. He was also warned to stay well clear of the tombstone he vandalized over the last two years. Wow. That Talk seems about- a little extreme. <laughs> you think? What the heck, dude? You're like, they were like 10 and 12 years old. Well, carrying a grudge is, you know, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't carry grudge. I don't know. I have, no, I, I'm mad at somebody for like about 30 seconds. And then I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Was I mad at you? <laughs> so I think I get in a fight or something. I'd punch somebody and I'd, you know, so I'm angry. And then as soon as he would, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Now I'm trying to pick him up. They're going to be like, are you crazy? You just knocked me down. Now you're asking me if I'm okay. You've punched people? A few, yes. I have never punched anyone. Well, Not yeah. people who deserve it. Well, Tom said, if my brother Tom is in the chat room, I've, I had to protect him a couple of times. So, yeah, I had to I had to get in there. And, he is in the chat room. I had to get in there and duke it out for the broster. There are times I've wanted to punch people, but I never have actually punched somebody. I did knee a guy in the nuts really, really hard. But <laughs> Well, that counts. Well, Dang. but he, he was super drunk, and he was holding my friend by the neck at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, then you got to take care of business, man. You can't let that happen. No. It was like when I was like 17 or 18, and I was like hanging off the guy, repeatedly kneeing him in the nuts, and he didn't even feel it. It was like I was like a bug or something. It was <laughs> It was like the Hulk, and I was like this little tiny, get off my back. Get off of me. What are you doing? Stop it. All right, here's the last one. Oh, yeah, it was effective. So here's the last one. This is where I think, you know, we have to ask Ken about this. The Legend of the Loveland Frogman. This comes from WCPO.com. Okay, Loveland, Ohio. Long ago in the 70s, people spoke of a legendary creature inhabiting the little Miami River. Even two reputable police officers back then reported spotting this frogman on two separate occasions. Now, a couple playing, yes, that's right, Pokemon Go may have stumbled across the same creature, the Loveland Frogman. Okay, now let's move forward to Wednesday night in 2016. Sam Jacobs and his girlfriend are out playing Pokemon Go between Loveland, Mandaria Road, and Lake Isabella, when suddenly a night of fun turns into a chilling tale of horror. That was when they encountered the purported frogman. We saw a huge frog near the water, Jacobs wrote in an email. Not in this game. This was an actual giant frog. I was like, I was just going to say that when they said it in the story. Jacobs stopped playing Pokemon Go so he could document what he was seeing, snapping some photos and shooting a short video. And yes, there is a video if you go to www.wcpo.com. Uh, and as they are doing this, this thing stands up and starts walking on its hind legs. I realize yeah. it sounds it's crazy, but I swear on my grandma's grave. I'm not sure why it was grandma's grave. This is the truth. He wrote the frog thing stood about four feet tall. When they returned to Jacob's girlfriend's home to tell them their encounter to her parents, her parents decided to share the legend of the frogman from long ago. 
So was it the legendary frogman or just the big frog? Jacobs isn't sure, but either way, neither his girlfriend nor he has ever seen anything like it. And that is the news for this week. Hmm. Interesting. The frogman. So did you guys see the news report about people like I, I just put a picture in, in oh, like, the window there about people appearing in the clouds over New York City. No. Oh, my Look God. Look at that, the picture. That's, right? That's crazy. Oh. That's supposed to be a real picture? Yeah. I'll put the link in. Um, and it's not the first time that this has happened this in different places. I'll put the link in chat. Did this story come or out a couple weeks ago? Or you can just search, like, are people oh. appearing in the clouds over New York? Yeah, and I you can find that. it as well. Wow. Look, Cheryl's just... That is cool. Yeah, I, I see it. I think I read about this. Six but days I can't ago. Remember. Okay. Yes, it's cool. so cool. I, I mean, and I'm sure it's like... It's like... What, Chuck? Well, I seen something similar to that like a long time ago. They did a Booth Brothers um, special, and they were going down... Oh, it was like the Devil's Road or something. And these shadow figures started to... At nighttime, would start pulling out from between the trees, and you could actually—I mean, they were dark and they looked like people like this. That's kind of crazy. Well, and I'm sure it's cool. just matrixing or whatever you call yeah. it. Um, that sure but, looks like that. But it sure looks like a bunch of people standing and looking <laughs> down over, over the city. And so maybe it's not. Maybe it's people from other dimensions watching oh, New York City. There you go, people. You got to check that out. That's a pretty crazy picture. That's yeah, cool. I know. So I was actually going to send that to you, but I figured you probably already had all your news. No, darn it. Well, I, yeah, I want to. I want to get a copy. I'm gonna get a copy of that picture and save it because I think it's kind of cool looking. It um, is neat looking, and I haven't seen cloud formations that look like that. But you know, I've seen clouds that look like dinosaurs and Winnie the Pooh and yeah. and all sorts of things. So it it's not beyond the realm of possibility that clouds are just going to make themselves look like that. Yeah, but yeah. um. Yeah. Pretty darn cool. So we do the coolest stuff here at Fair and on Radio in the Dark. We are just so educational cool. and entertaining, slightly annoying, um, childlike if you, sometimes. If you don't say okay. so yourself, huh? <laughs> I can be annoying sometimes. I'm sorry. It's true. I no, can't. I was talking about the entertaining and educational. Oh. Fabulously attractive. Um, you know. <laughs> None of you who listen to the show can see us, so you don't realize how goddamn beautiful we are. Really, we are. We're just. We are I'm, magnificent. Sometimes when I'm staring at Karen, I forget we're on the show. I just. Sort of I, it's, yeah. We know Cheryl does all the time because you know it breaks. Sometimes when I'm staring at me, I forget we're on the show too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Because we are magnificent. We are magnificent creatures. Yeah, we are beautiful beings. That's what we are. Beautiful right, beings. Are we, are we, we beautiful we beings? We are. Ch- Chad sent me a story, a link. Um, it says, Venus may have once been habitable, possessed atmosphere similar to Earth, according to NASA. Really? There you yeah. go. There's some tidbits. They're just tidbits flying in left and right, man. Crazy. Wait, well, how do they know what its atmosphere was like? I haven't even read the story yet. I just read the title. I know, but now I kind of <laughs> want to know. I mean, that's almost as intriguing to me as a fish head on a human body. Yeah, it, it really is. Do you want me to read the article? Yeah, real quick. Let's see, real quick. We have time. This is um, on RT.com. And I just read you the title. I'll read you the little caption. Maybe they'll also answer it. Observations suggest Venus may have had water oceans in its distant past. A land ocean pattern like that above, well, there's a picture, 
that looks like Earth above, was used in a climate model to show how storm clouds could have shielded ancient Venus from strong sunlight and made the planet habitable. Wow. You did that well, too, by the way. Thank you. I think you should do the news from now on. I think I'm just no, going to No, no, no. I think you no, but, should do the you know, news. we are uh, just just really quickly, what? we have been putting together sort of we're we're revamping the show. Yep. A little bit. Starting yeah. September, right? Yep, starting yep. September. Yep. Starting, yep. So, birthday. we have been putting together some things um to just make the show a little more uh, a little more varied and entertaining, a little less of Chuck and I yammering at you all the time. And we're really excited about some of the changes, and some of the things we want to do actually involve you, the listeners. So we would like to get you all involved in the show as well. Definitely. And Cheryl will be Cheryl will be working out so that we can tell you how we're doing that. I'm sure soon. Soon, maybe yes. next week. Definitely next maybe week. Maybe next week. Yeah, probably we'll talk about it next week because we need a couple weeks to get people to. Because we're talking about doing things like maybe trivia contests where yeah. people call in and participate in trivia. Yeah. We're talking about bringing back the lightning round. You guys all remember the lightning round where you get such yes. amazing questions as what kind of head would you like to see on a human body? Yes, I like that. <laughs> that was fun right there. I, I'm living for that. And you know what? Listeners, too, they could also send in like. Yeah, they can send a little intros for like our between our breaks. You know, hey, well, I, I, this and, is me, and I like listening And Chuck's going to do know. kind of a, a man on the street thing, too, where he asks people a paranormal question. And he could even do that over Skype if some of you wanted to answer yeah. a paranormal question. Sure. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. That. yeah so that. we would really like to have you start participating in the show because. Um, Really, honestly, it's just too much all about us, and um, we love our guests, uh, and we love our listeners, and so we'd like it to be all about other people other than us sometimes. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw in the chat room there that Bob was having some issues trying to, is he locked out of the show, or what's going on there? I saw him saying. I hit listen live and went into the loading mode, and it locks there, but I will keep trying. Well, Um, I know Chad can hear the show in the chat room. So yeah, I we all can. Maybe he phone. needs to. Um, it maybe he has like a an old version of Adobe Flash. He needs to update. Mm-hmm. Oh, Could and be. don't forget. And don't forget next week. I will not be here. I totally <laughs> forgot. I forgot too. Did we actually? Come I up sent with you an email. Yes, you. I actually, Karen. We did talk I about it. You, you were going to ask um, somebody if they could sit in. Because I have a do the meditation. Is that I secret? Yes, Patrick. You were going to see if Patrick could. Oh, oh, I have. I completely forgot. Patrick. I completely hey. forgot. So I will do that. Um, probably as soon as we go on break, because I'm going to say. I'll, otherwise, I'll say I'm going to do it, and you know, I'll forget. Yes. And then you'll be like, "This be the lady show." It'd be the lady. That would be bad just to be the lady show. Even Cheryl could do it. Cheryl and I are lovely. We're lovely, yes. lovely, lovely. Lovely ladies. <laughs> lovely if ladies. We do well, say so ourselves. And I think you just did. <laughs> I believe you just did. <laughs> Not only am I lovely, I'm freaking hot. He's hot. What? <laughs> you see people. You see what you I know have to do? I'm hot? The only guy. It's like it's like 85, 90 degrees. And it's uh, about that up here in the upstairs room. I am hot right now. You notice I'm still, you and, and you notice funny. I changed out. I changed out of my workout clothes for you. Yeah, I was gonna say. And I like the fog that keeps going over the moors there in your room. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm so Got basically like... I'm sitting here in a sports bra and workout pants and like this little teeny spaghetti <laughs> strap top, and and I have my um, 
Mister, but that's not what it's called. My essential oil diffuser going. Yeah, it's going. And, it's like, and so yeah. it's the, the fog is blowing across my face. The first time I did it, Chuck was like, what is that? I keep seeing something. I was freaking <laughs> out. Like, is this, no, that's just too common for that to be anything weird. Oh, no, false no. no, alarm, folks. Just a diffuser. Just well, a diffuser. All right. Well, let's go to uh, break because yeah, I'm excited sure. to talk to Ken, right? Yes. Yeah, cool. All right, Cheryl, do you have break loaded? Because yeah. I know you forgot earlier. I, I, it's oh. ready to go. I out your secrets. I shouldn't have done that. I'm all around the carpet. There you I go. get oh, sidetracked. Okay. My attention span is a little it's short. It's the lately. margaritas that's sidetracking you, uh, yeah, yeah, it's because you're swimming in a glass of margarita. I wish that was I'm my excuse. Sure. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So stick around. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We'll be right back. Hey, great T-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool T-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of HauntedShirtClub.com. I get a great T-shirt from a different haunted place every month, along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. HauntedShirtClub.com, right? Yep, that's it. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's author, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Fraser, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. My name is Daryl E. Berry, Jr., longtime practitioner, researcher, and explorer of things metaphysical, mystical, and cutting edge, and founder and director of Next Density a research, education, and development effort for personal and thus global progress, transformation, and development. My current and upcoming books include Travel Far, Classes on A Course in Miracles, and Next to Density. For my books and other writings, videos, interviews, public talks, and workshops, and to schedule for consultations, classes, and courses, visit DarylEBerryJr.com or NextDensity.org. Next Density. Change yourself. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. So you're looking for the best in paranormal radio. Well, you 
you just found it, right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. We are back. This is Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. I'm MixLR with your hosts, Karen Fraser and me, the lovely Chucky G. Now we have our guest on the line, don't we, Mr. Ken Gerhardt. Hi, Ken. How you doing? Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's definitely an honor and a pleasure to be here. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about you, like if they don't know, because I mean, I know a lot about you. But go ahead. Tell them a little bit about you, uh, your background, please. Well, uh, I'm a cryptozoologist, and for those listeners that, that aren't familiar with that term, uh, crypto means hidden in Latin, and uh, zoology, of course, pertains to the study of animals. So the technical description of what I do is a search for hidden animals or evidence of animals that have not proven to be scientifically valid, that, that you know haven't been ca- classified yet. Now, Many of the animals that I investigate are very romantic and kind of highly whimsical things that traditional scientists won't touch with a 10-foot pole. So that's things like Bigfoot the so- Bigfoot or Sasquatch and the Yeti uh, and all the different versions around the world, the Loch Ness Monster and similar lake monsters and sea monsters, Thunderbirds, um, Mothman, uh, Dogman, and, you know, th- there's a whole bunch. And that's uh, kind of the spirit of, of my new book is, uh, kind of the diversity of the field of cryptozoology. Now, there's also an important clarification I want to make right here at the beginning because I am very, very interested in the paranormal, metaphysical phenomenon. I find it fascinating, anything unexplained. But okay. it's not really my main area of expertise, and I do occasionally flirt with that when I'm writing about things like Mothman and stuff. And I, you know, But cryptozoology is based on traditional zoology in that it potentially could prove things that are that are real with scientific evidence so if i find a bone or blood or a hair what i'm saying is it's a lot easier to prove than you know anything in the paranormal realm which is very very difficult to to have physical evidence of right um, mm -hmm. and it often gets grouped together with the paranormal but it's cryptozoology is not paranormal right well, you know, again, there's, there's, it's, a, it's an evolving field. It's been around for a long time. It was started by traditional scientists. And, but even the traditional scientists who started it, uh, who were zoologists, were very romantic guys and felt like that you had to encompass a lot of mythology and folklore around the world because myths don't come from nothing. So, right. you know, and, and a lot of that. And so it does encompass some things that traditional zoology does not. Um, and there are definitely things that we investigate in this field that don't make sense from a strictly zoological standpoint. So we sometimes we have to think outside the box and look at like metaphysical explanations on occasion. Right. Right. Because I know, for instance, like with Bigfoot, one of the prime theories is that they're not, uh, that they're from a different dimension. Is that something Mm -hmm. that you subscribe to? By the way, first I have to ask, is it Bigfoot or Big Feet (laughs) or just Bigfoot? What's oh, it's big. It's big for plural. It's big foot. Believe it or not, as weird okay. as that sounds. Yeah, <laughs> but you can say <laughs> so big feet. That's okay. Um, <laughs> that's actually a question I get asked 
quite a bit, especially lately. I think more people are starting. There's kind of a split or a divide in the Bigfoot field right now. You've got the old school guys like me who look up to names like Rene DeHendon and Grover Krantz and John Green. All these guys that spent decades searching for Bigfoot as if it were some type of undiscovered ape or maybe pre-human type creature. And then there are the, there's kind of the new guard um, that that feels that Bigfoot, the reason that we haven't found any physical evidence or a body of Bigfoot, which is utterly baffling, and the reason no one can get a good photograph of a Bigfoot is because they are interdimensional and have properties that we don't quite understand. So um, it, it's a hotly debated contest. I am open to anything. Anything is possible. But I personally prefer to approach it as a biological problem because I think that's if you try to approach it the other way, I, you know, again, just like with the paranormal, it's like, how are you going to make any progress there? Right. Well, so I live in the Pacific Northwest, which is uh, prime Bigfoot and Thunderbird country. I live in southwestern yep. Washington. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I'm always curious as to what actual evidence has been found of uh, of bigfoot is it just all anecdotal or is there anything that's actually been found that that makes you think that this thing is real well um the first thing i have to point out is the anecdotal evidence is overwhelming so even though you can say it is easy to say oh it's just anecdotal but you're talking about at least three thousand documented eyewitness sightings from credible people some multiple witness sightings many during the day you're looking yeah, at, I think I saw him. I think I saw him sitting down by a stream on Mount Rainier like three weeks ago. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, <laughs> you are up there in, the, in a prime spot. But anyways, okay. So three thousand eyewitness accounts. So eyewitnesses obviously can make things up. They can make mistakes. Obviously, that does happen. But it is hard to dispel a number like three thousand or more than three thousand because you can always say if one person out of three thousand is correct, then Bigfoot does exist. You know, the rest of the sightings don't matter. Um, there's legends all over the world of creatures like Bigfoot. The descriptions are very consistent, very, very compelling, because unlike other cryptids like the Jersey Devil and Chupacabra, where you get all these crazy descriptions, Bigfoot or Sasquatch almost always describe the same. And then the, the physical evidence actually is not enough for science probably to accept at this point, but it is pretty compelling uh, if you look at it. You have the footprints. There have been thousands of footprints that have been found in rem- some in many remote areas. And I'm talking about trackways, not just a foot here, but like entire trackways of an animated foot. We have photographed and, and cast some of those with plaster. They've been studied by physical anthropologists, uh, including Grover Krantz, Jeff Melder, and others. Uh, they've been studied by forensic fingerprint experts who worked for the FBI. Um, those people said that they had to belong to a real animal. Um, there have been some hair samples, but those have been very ambiguous. Hair samples are very, hair samples and dropping are kind of, uh, kind of a tease because you feel like you have something physical, but it's very hard to get DNA out of droppings. Contamination mm-hmm. happens a lot with things like hair and stuff. So the only physical uh, evidence really are the footprints. But again, from from you know, was studied carefully by by physical anthropologists who specialize in that stuff primates and so forth, we're, we're convinced of their authenticity. So, and then of course you also have the Patterson film, which is really the only good film of a, of a Sasquatch and uh, it has never been debunked. There are many people that claim it's a fake, but no one's ever produced the costume. No one's ever, yeah. you know, so. Well, I and mean, I've, you know. yeah, I've read extensive analysis of that. 
I mean, and the things that people analyze on that film, the movement of like the way the pecs are moving and um, that there's like apparently some kind of a contusion or something that appears on this. It's just incredible. The very, the what? The, The breasts. Mm-hmm. She has large mammary glands, and I'm sorry if you said that, Arikavi, but... I said pecs. It, I called it pecs, but yeah. When when she turns around, you can actually see it. I just saw this recently. I was looking at uh, Bill Munn's stabilization of the Patterson film on my giant flat-screen TV, and when it, when she turns, I mean, the breasts, the, the motion of the breasts, and just the... It just looks so utterly natural, you know, like, you know, and that would, seems like that would be a hard thing to fake back in 1967. Mm-hmm. seems like it would and somebody told me the other thing is that somebody tried to reverse engineer the what would have been a Bigfoot suit and nobody's been able to do that including like Hollywood special effects people yeah not in my opinion I've seen at least one or two recreations for different TV shows by Hollywood special effects quote unquote experts and to me they looked worse far worse than the Patterson show or far more fake I should say easily identifiable as a person in a costume. And now we're talking about, you know, what, 48 years later, (laughs) 49 years later. I mean, so it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a very controversial piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask about, um, there's two things I'd like to ask you about, and they're not the the typical, atypical, like Loch Ness Monster stuff, which I am interested in, of course, but one of them is, um, for some reason, I've seen photos of this and heard stories of little people, like four foot mm-hmm. tall little people. I'm totally yeah. fascinated by this, and I was just kind of curious at what your take is on it and what uh, what you think they might possibly be. I mean, are they humanoid? Are they animal? Or I mean, just kind of curious. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because actually there is a section in my new book coming up uh, in September 8th. There is a section on the little people of North America, oh, a small section. Um, so you have these legends, as you point out of little people, you know, of course, all over the world, when you consider all the fairy lore and stuff from different cultures, but here in North America, many native American tribes talked about hairy, savage dwarfs, and they were called by a variety of names. Uh, the Navajo called them Hachesi Tehi, um, the, in Alaska, where I was up filming last year, they were called the Ixjinkak or Jithiak. Um, I met a family of, um, I'm embarrassed I can't remember the the tribe right now, but I met a family of people up in northern Minnesota a few years ago who told me that they had little people on their reservation and they were quite a nuisance because they were stealing food and killing dogs and things, these little hairy creatures. And then in Mm -hmm. Montana, you have the little little people of the prior mountains. So those are just a few examples, the Pukwudgie and so forth. So you have all these legends of little hairy creatures, savage creatures, very dangerous um, much like the, the, uh, fairy lore from around the world, they're often endowed with magical properties, you know, um, you know, I don't know from, from, uh, again, taking the conservative approach here, if, if yes. something like this exists, we did have a number of diminutive, uh, hominids in our fossil history. In fact, most of the hominids that kind of bridged that gap, uh, from when we split with a common ancestor, Humans and chimpanzees split with a common ancestor about six or seven million years ago. And okay. after that time, you had the Australopithecines, you had Homo habilis, you had 
Homo erectus. You had all these different versions of little proto-human, early pre-human type of creatures, and they were all very small. They were only like three to four feet tall. They mm-hmm. were covered in hair, just like apes. Um, so, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, I mean, if Bigfoot, a lot of people link Bigfoot to Gigantopithecus or yes. some other relic hominoid. So why not, are, why not these little creatures? Why couldn't they be just a kind of a pygmy-sized version of that, that same right. type of thing? But, yeah. uh, but again, you do get a lot of these claims of like, you know, that they can basically vanish in thin, into thin air, that they abduct little children and use magical powers and mm-hmm. slow down time. And so I, you, you wonder where all that comes from. Right. Yeah. Cause I've, I've always just, I've, for some reason, I don't know why I found it fascinating. I saw one picture that looked like it showed like a little person trying to walk across this road. I don't know where it was at, like Africa or something <laughs> like that, you know, but it just was just, it looked so, I mean, authentic, you know, and I just found it to be really fascinating. Now, what, what is your take on the Nephilim? The, you know, there's these elongated skulls are finding all over the place uh, in, in, in packs and I mean, just everywhere they're starting to pop yeah. up. What, what What is your take on all that? Well, very fascinating. Um, obviously, it is a physical object, biofact. You can't disregard it because you can actually take it and study it. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the Nephilim, you know, again, that's kind of more of a spiritual uh, kind of, I think that doesn't that kind of bridge the gap or, or dance yeah, angels and humans, spiritualism yeah. and, all, and mm-hmm. also, yeah. you know, it's kind of the extraterrestrial ancient astronaut kind of uh, theorists. Um, I, there, I, I know for a fact that there were giants in pre-human history, just like we got done talking about the little people. There was right. a time period in our past when there was gigantism of different human forms, and there have been ske- giant skeletons found and things like that. And as far as the elongated skulls, mm-hmm. um, I understand there's conservative theories about how those are modified human things and stuff, that d- different tribes will use skull modification and stuff. Um, but I recently spoke to a Bigfoot researcher. I don't know if I should mention his name about this, but uh, he's been down in South America um, looking at some of these skulls, these elongated skulls that they've been finding in some of these sacred places. And uh, he's done some preliminary testing and says that they are definitively not human, that they have different features that are not not human or unhuman-like. So I've never actually oh. seen them in person, but uh-huh. um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if, for example, our planet has been visited by other higher intelligences from other dimensions or, you know, it's a big universe <laughs> you know, and, it's, and yeah. a lot of time has gone by in the past. So, uh, you know, are they still here? Did they grow us out of a test tube? Those are some of all the, the crazy theories that come up. Maybe not so crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anything is possible, you know. How old are the skulls though? I mean, have they dated them so that they have kind of a general idea of when they're from? I don't really know that, Kathy, but we're not talking millions of years. We're talking, I think, just, I mean, they're not true fossils. They're more like mummified remains. So I think we're talking probably thousands of years ago. Okay, and fair enough. Now, the, the antiquity in the Americas, as far as when humans actually arrived here, there have been several migrations, of course, to the Americas over time. But um, since we were connected to the Asian land bridge, uh, you know, the Clovis people, I think that's probably like 12,000 years ago. Um, there has been there, interestingly enough, there has been tantalizing evidence of human presence in, or some kind of presence in the Americas before that 12,000 years, they found 
tools, I think, in South America, Mexico, and other places that look like they're 30,000 years old, or that's what some of the dating indicates. So, again, all these things are very controversial. Um, but, you know, we're talking about, I think these skulls are probably thousands of years old, which is still pretty darn old. Um, sure. Whatever they are. So I spend a lot of time in the woods. And mm-hmm. um, I've seen evidence of lots of animals over the years and lots of animals too. I mean, you see the scat, you see, you know, where they rub up against the trees, you see their footprints, you see all of these things, but I've never seen anything. I have one, one recording of something that somebody said, Oh, that might be a Bigfoot, but I've never seen anything. And I know you say you've got 3000 anecdotal Mm -hmm. sightings. And I, I, other than, of course, thinking I saw Bigfoot when I was looking for mountain goats a couple of weeks ago, that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that. And I'm out in the woods all the time. So why mm-hmm. aren't we encountering these more frequently or evidence of them more frequently? Well, um, I'm of the opinion that the reason we don't encounter them very frequently is because they, for one thing, they're extremely rare. There's probably only a population of a few thousand in, in North America. Mm-hmm. Um they live in. They choose to live in the most remote areas that we never go. Typically, high mountain ranges and swamps and things like that. Um, and furthermore, they've probably adopted behavior patterns designed to avoid humans, specifically to vo- avoid humans, since we are probably deemed as their greatest threat. So they probably travel at night a lot, very nocturnal when we're most of us are asleep. They probably uh, have, uh, it's allegedly, they have excellent camouflage skills that they can stand still for a really long time and kind of blend into the scenery. Um, they probably have very keen senses in terms of, you know, being aware of us, our smell, our, our, you know, our presence and so forth. And, you know, they are, they do seem to be shy and retreating creatures. So they typically, when people do encounter them, they, you know, they walk off quickly or, or vanish in the woods because they don't want to be contacted by us. So if you consider, you know, all of these things and consider that they're highly intelligent, possibly uh, hominids, you know, or, or right. hominids, then it's possible. You know, they could be out there. Um, right. I know you, I spend a lot of time in the wilderness too, believe me. I know a lot of people that do. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are avid outdoorsmen and stuff. And, you know, you think about all the time you spend in the woods, but, you know, name any animal species other than like a squirrel, a deer. But when you start talking about certain predators, it's like... How many mountain lions have you really seen in the wild? Uh, a couple, actually, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe I picked a bad example there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. But well, consider the there's, probably, there's probably there's uh, probably several thousand mountain lions to every one Sasquatch, right. though. Right. But the other thing is the um, the game cams. Now, I've been walking through the woods and, and had a game cam snap a picture of me. Of course, I'm not very mm-hmm. elusive or graceful. So, But when you're talking about – and I'm not just talking about Bigfoot here now. I'm talking about um, what you and Chuck were talking about, uh, and I can't remember all the names from, but the little hairy guys and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Why aren't they showing up on game cams? That's a great question. That is a very, very, very strong argument for the skeptic. The the lack of pictures on trail cams and the lack of physical evidence. Why haven't we found a body yet? I don't have a definitive answer. You know, maybe we just haven't been lucky yet. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to be very objective in this field. So even though I'm fairly convinced that Bigfoot or Sasquatch does exist, I haven't seen one with my own eyes, and therefore I can't say conclusively that they do. There's always mm-hmm. a chance that that they do not. Um, but you know the, that's a great 
great question, and I bring that up with people all the time. Why the heck don't we have a, a good picture yet? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe someone's got one somewhere, and they just they're afraid to come forward with it, or. Uh, I guess if well, there is there is some of that. I mean, there's a lot of ridicule when people come forward with things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about the three thousand sightings. Don't you think that that's probably just scratching the surface? I mean, most people, if they encountered a Bigfoot, would you go, "Oh wow, I just saw a Bigfoot. I better start telling people." <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically probably not. unless you're if you're a Bigfoot researcher and all your buddies are Bigfoot researchers, you might tell them. But if you're, yeah. you know, Joe Schmo and you didn't believe in Bigfoot and someone walked across there in front of your car, you're not going to tell anybody, you know? <laughs> you know, I would think you would want to tell anybody because they're going to no. think you're crazy. So. No, as, as a matter of fact, when we were on Mount Rainier and I was sure because I, I, I saw Bigfoot, I didn't even say anything to my husband because I knew he'd just be like, oh, whatever. And we were in this line of cars because it was Mount Rainier in the summer, a national park, right? Yeah, and, well, um, you are. <laughs> yeah, and so I didn't say anything to him. But then I said something about it on the show <laughs> the, later that week. But, you know, I do this. Like, I do the show, so people already know I'm kind of nuts anyway, I suppose. <laughs> I don't think you're nuts. Well, all right, maybe a little bit, but that's okay. So I think I'm a little nuts, too, so don't worry about it. And, well, no, what's nuts is I was disappointed that it wasn't a mountain goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had that discussion, too. That's right. Uh, so I want to ask about Thunderbird real quick, if we could, because yeah, Thunderbird was yeah. originally spotted here on Mount St. Helens, right? Did we lose oh. him? Oh, I think we lost Ken. Let me try and get him back. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, yes, we must we must know about Thunderbird. Here, let's try this again. Okay, that's fine. I'm into yeah. all the Pacific Northwest cryptids, man. <laughs> I like those little people thing. That just freaks me out. I remember seeing that one picture. I can't remember what it was. It was looked a little skinny. Well, there have there have been legends for years. I mean, yeah. for centuries about these. Yeah. And, well, they and, I think so we like, have Ken. I think we have Ken back. Ken back. Is he back? Yes. Okay. Hey. I was just asking right. about um. I was asking about Thunderbird because that's another Pacific Northwest one. I think that was uh, originally spotted here on Mount Saint Helens. Uh, yes, the Thunderbirds have uh, been a main focus of my research for many years now. Uh, really, a couple of decades. Um, there are a lot of sightings in, in the Pacific Northwest, you're right, but there really are also modern sightings and native legends all over North America, from New, uh, New England to the American Southwest to the Smoky Mountains to, you know, the South, I'm sorry, Southeast. I mean, you name it, you have these Thunderbird legends, and the modern sightings are primarily and uh, for some strange reason, most of the modern sightings are in the states of Pennsylvania, Illinois, Texas, and Alaska. Those four states on my map, my giant map here on my wall with all the Thunderbird sightings marked, really have a, a strong density. But you do have sightings throughout the Pacific Northwest, as you said, and in the Rocky Mountains, quite a few sightings up there as well. And it's just uh, like a really big-ass bird, right? Well... <laughs> The general description of the Thunderbird is a bird standing about five feet tall with a wingspan anywhere from 12 or 15 to up to 20 or 25 feet across. Whoa. Most eyewitnesses describe them as being one solid color, usually very dark, like black, charcoal, gray, or dark brown. Uh, the, the beak is described as kind of like a raptor, an eagle's beak, kind of with a hook. 
Um, many people describe it as them as looking very ancient looking, whatever that means. Maybe it's because they're so big. Uh, the wings are described as kind of squared, uh, squared off and very long and thin. Um, so, and they're big and they're big and scary. And, um, so, you know, again, very general description. Now there's a second phenomenon that gets lumped in with the Thunderbirds, which are the living reports of living pterosaurs. Pterosaurs, of course, are not birds at all, but reptiles, right. reptiles that, that lived for 150 million years ago. Like pterodactyls, uh, you mean? Yeah, like pterodactyls. Pterosaurs. Pterodactyls are one specific type, but pterosaur is the general term. So these were specialized okay. flying reptiles that were contemporary with the dinosaurs up until 64 million years ago at the end of the Cretaceous. And there's no, no evidence of them in the fossil history after that, but some people report these things as looking like pterodactyls or pterosaurs without feathers with bony crests on their heads and bat-like wings and long, sometimes long reptilian tails. And those sightings have gotten kind of lumped in with the Thunderbird reports, primarily because of the, some of the bigger ones, you know, that are reported. But I think we're dealing with two different separate phenomenon here uh, because okay. the descriptions are so, so different. Hmm. Okay. So, um, so my first guess, I mean, so this would be the first thing and I'm not a zoologist or a cryptozoologist. Uh, and I am one of the people who always says, well, never say never and nothing is impossible and all that crap. So, um, but what I would think is, um, is it just somebody misreading the distance? And so the bird looks bigger than it is or how, I mean, how do they know? Cause birds, fly pretty high and far away from us, right? So how do they know how big they are unless they swoop right down in their faces? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I do have to always point out that all cryptids, all the things that I investigate, are examples of composite identity, meaning that you have a lot of different things going on from oh, sure. fakes mm -hmm. and hoaxes and lies to misidentifications to so forth. But um, that's a great question. Now, in terms of the height, that's been estimated by people who've seen these things standing on the ground. Oh, so okay. There have, been, there have been encounters of them like standing on the ground and then taking off. And so that's where we get the height of five feet. Um, in terms of the wingspan, you're right. People are probably bad at guessing that stuff exactly. But most people are familiar with very large vultures and eagles and birds like that. So right. these birds are always said as being, you know, described as being many times bigger than any known eagle or vulture. And many of my eyewitnesses on the Thunderbirds, in fact, are what I consider to be skilled observers. That is hunters, fishermen, mm. outdoorsmen, uh, farmers and ranchers, people that are around animals all day long and see a lot of different types of animals. Okay. Um, so that that's, you know, but you're right. There's probably some, some of the sightings, particularly when they're high up in the air, probably could be misidentifications of known bird species, just people misjudging. But I think that that's probably more of a case of like uh, uh, your city mouse guy that's traveling out into 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 Washington State for the first time, and, <laughs> and, and every, seen, like, everything looks terrifying. Never seen a golden yeah. eagle. Yeah, never seen a golden <laughs> right. eagle up close or whatever. So, well, I got a question in uh, chat from Chad. He's, he's asking, "Is the Thunderbird from the?" He said, "Goblin dimension or goblin unit?" Is it got? Goblin, yeah, Goblin Universe or Goblin Dimension? What is that? Uh, the Goblin Universe is a term that was coined by some of the early pioneers in cryptozoology. And um, I think Pete, actually it was 
it was coined by a guy at the Smithsonian Institute, uh, Dr. Really? John Napier, who's, who, was, okay. who wrote a book on Bigfoot in the early 70s. And the inference is the, basically the interdimensional thing. That we ah. we have a there's a parallel universe with all these strange creatures that we hardly ever see and that occasionally they travel into our reality or through a portal or something where we see them and they vanish again. So um, John Keel was one guy who wrote the Mothman prophecies who thought that all of these different creatures Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, Mothman were all from the Goblin universe and were all related somehow. I would totally like to see a Thunderbird from the safety of my vehicle, perhaps. Um, instead yeah. of it standing there, but I think that would be incredibly amazing. So, hey, yeah, let's go to break uh, just because we're at a good spot to to take one. Um, stick around, everybody. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We're talking some cryptozoology. We'll be right back. Hey, great T-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool T-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of hauntedshirtclub.com. I get a great t-shirt from a different haunted place every month, along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. Hauntedshirtclub.com, right? Yep, that's it. You are a waste. A loser. Everyone hates you. Why don't you just stay in your car and keep driving? I'm serious. Drive until you run out of gas, then get out of your car and walk until you find someone who doesn't think you're dumber than bricks. Could take a while, but at least all that walking might burn a couple of calories. You may not witness bullying like this every day. Your kids do. They want to help, but they don't know how. Visit StopBullying.gov to learn safe, simple ways your child can help stop bullying. Be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. The traditional light bulb, a groundbreaking invention in 1879. It's time we switch to longer-lasting Energy Star light bulbs. They're more efficient than the old bulbs, like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. And they cut down on our energy costs. Because in our own groundbreaking age, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. So you're looking for the best in paranormal radio. Well, you 
you just found it, right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. We are back. This is MixLR. This is Paranormal Gun Radio in the dark. We're talking with Ken Gerhard, of course. He's a cryptozoologist. And I, uh, we have lots of questions, so let's let's go here. Um, we'll do one from Chad. Does he know? Uh, do you know anything about supposed recent sightings of Tasmanian tiger? Have you heard about the recent sightings? Yes, I, ha- I have heard about this. Um, the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine is a carnivorous marsupial that we know for a fact is was native to Tasmania um, until about uh, 1936. They mm-hmm. were eradicated uh, in the 1930s and before, sadly. Um, the reason it's called the Tasmanian tiger is because it has stripes on its hindquarters. It actually looks very wolf-like in appearance, though it can open its jaws up at an incredible angle. And um, so... These animals were driven to extinction in the 1930s. However, there have been a number of sightings, possibly hundreds or even a thousand sightings or more um, since that time on the island of Tasmania and also on mainland Australia and New Guinea. And it should be pointed out that they were only known on Australia and New Guinea during the Ice Age. So um, the theory there is that maybe before they were eradicated in Tasmania, some people took some over to Australia and New Guinea and let them lose or something. But um, there were some sightings earlier this year. Um, I, I actually have some colleagues, many colleagues that are down there in Tasmania that feel like we're very close to solving that one and finding some definitive proof. Uh, uh-huh. There's uh, the organization I belong to, the Center for Fortean Zoology, sent an expedition down there last year, and they did come up with some uh, droppings and hairs and things that they, they found to be intriguing and those are being examined and studied. And in addition to that, I've been talking to these guys known as the Thylacine Research Unit, TRU, who are you know very skeptical and qualified scientific guys and they've been down there looking for evidence for a number of years. So there are a number of excellent researchers down there as we speak looking for the evidence, the hard evidence that they could exist in either Tasmania or Australia. And if they're proven to be, I mean, they were officially only listed as extinct, I think, a few years ago. So even though we haven't seen them in many decades, uh, the World Wildlife Organization was hesitant to, to, to kind of close that door. Right. Um, but nature has proven before many times that extinction is not necessarily the end, or at least what we deem to be extinction. Just declaring a species extinct doesn't mean there isn't still a pocket of those animals out there in some remote area and that they can't possibly hang on for a long time or even resurface, you know. Right. Well, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you is how do we know a species is extinct? Is there a certain criteria that we use to declare a species extinct? Does extinct mean none left? Does it mean two left? Um, Well, sadly, I'll use the uh, northern white rhinos in Africa as an example. Um, They were poached and hunted and slaughtered by people for their horns. Um, and then, uh, several years ago, the Czechoslovakian zoo had three in captivity and they sent them to a reserve in, uh, in Africa. I can't remember which country. I think it might be Kenya, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And these three rhinos are guarded day and night by armed guards because they're the three last ones in the world. There's wow. a male and two females and the male is, 
probably past its prime and unable to breed. So basically, you're looking at a species that is functionally extinct because they have no hope of, of reproducing. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of very sad stories. I know that's a bummer, but there are a lot of sad stories like that um, where you know humans have essentially driven animals to, to a point where there's just not enough habitat and there's not enough individuals to you know to have a viable breeding population Mm -hmm. so do you think that there are um creatures that go naturally extinct or do you think most of it is is human intervention at this point we are in the midst of a sixth major extinction event according to a recent article online that, that that i just read that was pretty interesting and very scientific um you have had at least five major extinction events that we know of throughout, you know, hundreds of millions of years. And of course, the most famous one is the end of the Cretaceous when all the dinosaurs were wiped out possibly by a meteor or something like that. Um, We've had in, you know, recent, uh, um, sadly, a lot of it is due to humans because if you look at the expansion of humans, the development of land for humans, that has created a, a, you know, a huge burden on the, the ecosystem in terms of taking away habitat, viable habitat, uh, plus, there's global warning. I won't go into all that, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's evidence of, of things like that happening and pollution and all that is impacting the environment. And so, uh, there are definitely animals that have gone extinct, you know, without our help. So, I mean, that has happened, and usually that's a process of natural selection, where two species, two different types of animals, competing for the same niche, and you know, one wins and one doesn't. You know, so there have been millions and millions of species that have got extinct. I'm not exaggerating there. I forget the, the number's crazy, but we think there have been millions of species that have gone extinct since uh, the first life appeared. So, I mean, it is it does happen. Mm-hmm. But we should all be concerned, I think, because right now we're looking at a very dire situation where we're about to eradicate a lot of different species uh, off the face of our planet simply because we can't stop expanding and taking their habitat away. Wow. Hmm. Now... Uh, all right, so I want to ask. I know on uh, you were featured on the History Channel for the the special about the real Wolfman. Can yep. we can we talk about that a little bit? Because you know you have the real Wolfman, then you have werewolves, you have the Beast of Brer Road, you got all these different things that have to do with wolves, human intermix. I mean, where where do you draw the line? Where do you say this is this and this is just kind of more fantasy built, uh, you know, uh, ideas. Well, um, interestingly enough, I just got back from Defiance, Ohio, where we had the first ever Dogman Symposium this past weekend, and we had 150-some people show up from some from as far away as New York that came to talk about the Dogman, as he is known, which is essentially a werewolf type of creature. Right. Um, Linda, Linda Godfrey is probably the preeminent expert on that particular cryptid or, or creature, although we've had a number of experienced uh, speakers there that, that have been investigating the phenomenon from different angles. Um, I think the consensus when we all left there was that um, it probably, the dogman is probably a metaphysical manifestation of some kind, either a thought form or, you know, something from the goblin universe that's coming from another dimension portal, because there are all these connections, it seems like, even though it is a physical presence and it leaves tracks and uh, seems to have a physical embodiment, um, there seem to be very strong ties to Native American traditions, to different types of spiritualism. There right. seem to be other other strange phenomenon that are associated with them. Mm-hmm. So, and from my perspective as a as a cryptozoologist, 
it doesn't make a lot of sense that you would have a mixture of a canine and human features, at least in not, not in a natural way, not in the process of evolution. It just doesn't happen that way. Humans, right. primates and, and canines or carnivores have been separated but so long that there's just no way that those features can pop up in, in something we can't share that. Anyways, um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a compelling question because you know, there, there have been things in the past that, um, uh, maybe more wolf-like in nature, not necessarily man-like, but wolf-like right. in nature that, that are, you know, very, um, sort of terrifying and, uh, the things that we don't know a lot about, for example, I, uh, the real Wolfman show that you talked about, I went to France for a TV special, and I investigated. They called it the Wolfman, but it was really a werewolf-type creature known as the Beast of Javodan that uh, was re- uh, accused of attacking and killing anywhere from 60 to 120 people back in the 1760s in, in southern France. And we did a pretty thorough investigation into that creature, which was described as being generally wolf-like in form, but much bigger, much, much bigger than any known wolf. And with a shaggy coat, a long tail... Um, small pointy ears and some features that don't quite add up in terms of a, of a wolf. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of the, the basis for the real Wolfman documentary. I don't know if I want to give too much away, but there, there were a lot of twists and turns in that story, but it's a very, it's a very prolific story or tale because you have all of these people that were actually attacked and killed. And mm-hmm. that's all been well-documented in different Royal and official birth death certificates and things from that time. But we're also talking about something that happened 250 years ago. So right, really, exactly. you, you know, there's you, you can't get hot on the trail of anything there. So, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, the the beast of Jeff, I guess that was a bit of a pun, huh? The beast of Jevodon is very different from the beast of Bray Road or the Dog Man, which is described as a bipedal canid, so right. something that's walking upright on its hind legs, has a human-like body, or in some cases a dog-like body, but just walks on mm-hmm. its hind legs, and uh, right. a wolf-like or dog-like head. And uh, so very similar to the Mothman in some ways, uh, very similar to reports of something known as the Goatman. You have different mm-hmm. legends around of that. Yeah, I remember that Mer- one, yeah. Mermaids. Anytime you breed a human form with another animal, you're typically dealing with something from the Goblin universe. At least that's my opinion. Okay. Um, but, but Linda Godfrey, for one, thinks it, it is possible that there – you have bears that obviously can walk upright a little bit. And there's a very famous bear right now on the internet who's walks exclusively upright because it is uh, an injury. So, but you know, could a canine do that? Walk on its hind legs? It's hard. It's hard for me to wrap my head around because of the way they're built. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless it's a circus dog, of course. So yeah. I have. Um, I want to talk about lake monsters because. Mm-hmm. I am fascinated that it seems to be such a universal legend or is it a legend or is there something to it? Well, um, you don't have, again, just like Bigfoot or Sasquatch, there's no physical evidence of a lake monster. Right. You have a lot of anecdotal evidence, legends, modern sightings, and then you have some kind of, uh, some photographic evidence, some sonar readings, um, things like that, that are tantalizing. But, um, What's compelling about lake monster reports of, for example, the Loch Ness Monster, Champ or Champy from upstate mm-hmm. New York, uh, in uh, British Columbia, you have Ogopogo. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lake monsters reported from Japan. 
Russia, Scandinavia, Ireland. And all, what's interesting, first of all, is that all of those lake monster sightings come from almost the exact line of latitude. Oh, so, so I didn't know that. The, look at the map of the world and draw a line from Loch Ness to Lake Champlain to Lake Okanagan to all these lakes. And it's almost, they're all within the same geographic area. So very similar types of lakes, cold water glacial lakes that are very deep and so forth. So that's interesting, right? Right. And then you also have the eyewitness descriptions, which are fairly consistent and people describe something huge something enormous surfacing in those lakes and it typically displays either one hump or a series of humps and sometimes a long neck with a tiny head on the end breaks the surface like a periscope and looks around so um you know there are some interesting theories about those creatures one is that they are and again well you know composite identity so there are like hoaxes there are people misidentifying big fish and things like that so yes some of those can be explained but the remaining the the, the ones that you can't really explain uh there are several theories that there's something that uh, these lake monsters are like prehistoric survivors maybe like um plesiosaurs which were like, like dinosaurs beings. how cool would that be if dinosaurs yeah, yeah. were actually still around Cool. That's the most romantic theory. And then there's right. also, there were these, there were these giant snake-like whales known as archaeocetes that, that were around, um, like maybe during the Eocene epoch up to the Miocene epoch, like 20, 30 million years ago. Uh, they looked very different from modern whales. Um, then you have, um, giant eels. There's a theory about, you know, how eels, some eels could get to ma- grow to be massive sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a famous theory that's been around in cryptozoology for a long time is that they are actually uh, seals, but a species of unknown, a gigantic species of unknown seal that has an extremely long neck oh, and wow. a small head. So, wow, and, I never you know, that, that. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense in terms of the lakes that we're looking at because the water is so cold that uh, you, you would, many scientists would kind of lean towards that mammal explanation as opposed to a reptile which is a cold-blooded animal and probably wouldn't be in a a cold water lake so Mm -hmm. um but again there's a chapter in my new book a menagerie of mysterious beasts where i talk about the possibility that the loch ness monster could be a giant amphibian so if you look at something like a giant salamander uh salamanders and other amphibians actually can uh absorb oxygen cutaneously through their skin so they don't have to come to the surface and breathe all the time, like right. reptiles and mammals. So if you had this giant amphibian that was living in the bottom of Loch Ness and other lake, it wouldn't co- it wouldn't come to the surface very often. It wouldn't be seen very often. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a it's it's not a new theory. It's been around for a while, but I kind of reintroduced it in my new book because I'm trying to look for a rational explanation as to why we don't see these things more often. Yeah. Now, there's a question from Chad. It's kind of not on the lake monster thing, but he wants to know, do you think aliens and cryptids could somehow be related, such as Bigfoot appearing closely after a UFO is spotted? Or, you know, I know it's a little metaphysical on that end, but what do you think about yeah. that? Anything is possible, but, I mean, that's just not, that's not an avenue that I choose to explore because I don't have the capacity to to find an alien or to find an right. alien. Right, how do you, how do you prove that? I mean, mm-hmm. How do I prove it? So I need to focus my energy on things that I can prove. So if I can find any physical evidence of any of these creatures or cryptids, that would be pretty groundbreaking. But, you know, there are a lot of people. I just 
recently did an episode of uh, Ancient Aliens. Uh, last year, I appeared on the show Ancient Aliens, and the show was about sea monsters, and they were trying to draw a connection between uh, you know extraterrestrials and portals and some of these sea monsters. Maybe they're prehistoric creatures coming from the past or different things like that. So, um, sure, anything is possible, but that's that's not where I lean. Gotcha. And so, well, go ahead, Karen. Well, I want to know, because you, you're looking for things that are physically measurable and observable. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you've been doing this for a while. So, so tell me some of the coolest things you found, the things that really got you excited. Because there's got to be something that keeps you going with this, right? Well, um, I tell the story all the time. I've never seen a cryptid with my own two eyes, but um, i convinced that I've heard uh, a giant primate, um, a.k.a. Bigfoot or Sasquatch, on at least two or three occasions. But one uh, instance really stands out. Um, I was uh, doing an investigation in North Texas, very close to the border with Oklahoma, with uh, uh, a guy named Chester Moore and um, some other researchers. And we were in a very remote location where there had been a lot of sightings. And just after dark, we were hiking around this little tiny lake, and we heard, all heard, and I recorded some sounds, some vocalizations of something very loud and powerful grunting at us. And Mm. it was like a grunt or a panting. It's kind of a, imagine something with a deep laugh or panting or grunting. Mm. And it's kind of like a, oh, 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 kind of like an ape-like sound. And I recorded it. Uh, we didn't see the thing because it was in heavy brush and we couldn't, you know, make our way through. We were kind of nervous too, even though we had a gun. So, um, so we didn't actually see it that night. But the the recording, the sounds were unlike anything I'd ever heard in North America. It sounded very much like a howler monkey or something like that. Um, huh, and then, cool. And then the ne- the next morning, uh, we spent the night there at the location, and a bunch of other weird stuff happened. But the next morning, we finally made our way through the heavy brush to the location where we'd heard this thing, and it was a small beach. And on this beach were some very deep footprints that were kind of indistinct because the, the sand was very muddy and uh, there wasn't a lot of form there. But we also found uh, several turtle shells that had been mutilated in terms of, imagine a big, uh, like a red-eared slider turtle shell Imagine that ripped in half like a piece of paper from top to bottom. And imagine there's no meat or anything left, just a a turtle shell that's been ripped in half. And there were a bunch of those. And um, for the life of me, I know a human's not strong enough to do that. I can't think of any animal that can pick up a turtle shell and rip it down in half like a like a pistachio nut you know what I mean wow that's yeah that's uh something so all of that in concert was the most convincing thing that could you know that I thought wow this is there's something to this I mean that that was a primate and something is ripping up turtles and that's I can't explain any of that so do you know of any do you know of any animals like actually proven animals that would have been indigenous to that area that would have had the capacity or the uh the I don't know the feeding habits or whatever that would rip up turtles. No, I you know again I can't. I mean I don't even think like an alligator or a crocodile you know with that the powerful biting pressure of of, a, of an alligator, it's not going to break something cleanly in half. It's going to shred it you know because crocodiles have hundreds of teeth in their mouth and they just um, and then you know the fact that the, the the turtle shells though ripped in half were very fairly clean, but there was no meat or turtle remains on there. Yeah. Uh, no, there's there's nothing. I mean, you almost 
you can almost envision something with an opposable thumb or with incredible force that, that, you know, just ripped it. But, um, you know, it's, I'm probably speculating, but there is not a rational explanation. Um, Uh, that would, that would get me excited, I think. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, are there any legends that you feel have been thoroughly disproven or that you just are kind of like, I don't believe in that? Um, I mean, I, I don't really put put much stock in the Jersey Devil. A lot of people ask me about it, and I wrote about it in my last book. But um, uh, talk about composite identity. The descriptions are so varied. Uh, there is a general description of the Jersey Devil, which is basically a three-foot-tall kangaroo-like creature with a long muzzle, bat-like wings, a long forked tail, and, and so forth. But that doesn't line up with anything that I've ever heard of before in the natural world. And most of the sightings are very old. There, were, uh, there was a flat back in 1909, and there are some occasional sightings here and there. But uh, I, I don't put much stock in the Jersey Devil as a flesh and blood creature. I guess it could be some type of manifestation or apparition of some type. Um, probably the chup- sometimes the chupacabra. Now, there are different types of chupacabras described around the world. And down in Latin America, they're often described as having wings, like a big bat-like thing or a reptilian type of thing. Here in Texas, the name Chupacabra has been tossed around a lot to describe kind of these grotesque canines, uh, wild dogs and coyotes and things that are either diseased or, or you know, mangy or, or, or deformed. And I've mm-hmm. examined the remains of several of those animals, and um, there is something strange going on in terms of how many of those dogs there are right now and and why they look like that but uh, they're not chupacabras they're not blood drinking vampire like monsters you know yeah so uh, on the flip side of that in your opinion what cryptid do you think might possibly come forward i mean what 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 cryptid do you feel that has the most basis for reality that might actually someday come forward well, I would say uh, number one on the list would be the thylacine, which we already discussed. I think they will prove that those are still around. Number two, possibly something known as the orang pandek, which is an ape mm. that's been reported yes. from Sumatra. And I have mm-hmm. many colleagues that have been over there and found tracks and hairs and other evidence. And uh, that seems very viable that you could have a, an undiscovered ape on the island of Sumatra, um, okay. a bipedal ape. And then maybe third, I would say the, uh, you know, even the most conservative scientists will acknowledge how unexplored the world's oceans are, right? Right. Mm -hmm. The guns will scrape the surface of what's in the world. Oh, you know, 5% of the world's oceans, they're uh, 12,000 feet deep on average. You know, there are areas that are trenches that are 25, 37,000 feet deep. New species, new whales are discovered all the time. New shark species. There, there undoubtedly are things in the ocean we've never discovered yet, and probably something that was called the Great Sea Serpent or the Sea Serpent for many centuries and was sighted by mariners around the world and documented. There probably is some very large serpentine animal down deep in the ocean that we just don't see very often, just like the giant squid, which we didn't discover till the 1870s. And it's giant. I think someday one of these things is going to wash up on a beach somewhere. Or something mm-hmm. like it, and we're going to have another remarkable creature that you know comes steps from myth and, re- and legend into reality. Well, yeah, because I always wonder about like the mega shark, you know, the you know the uh, there's a the so- sharknado. Oh God, 
There we go. <laughs> yeah, Ken, what's your thoughts on the Sharknado? <laughs> I can't watch those movies. I just can't. Um, but yeah, you know that I that's a, one of the questions I was going to ask you about because it's like that is like undiscovered country, man, right there. You know. Yeah, uh, there are things in the ocean, no doubt about it. Big things that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so where where does Ken go from here? What do you what are you up to now? I mean, as far as what do you want to what do you want to do next in the field that you're in? Well, um, I have a Bigfoot conference that I'm attending in Kennewick, Washington, in a couple of weeks. And, yeah. uh, International Bigfoot Conference, and it's basically, if you look at the lineup, it's pretty mind-blowing. Bob Gimlin, Jeff Meldrum, Cliff Barrickman, John Bindernagel, Lauren Coleman, Adam Davies, myself, Derek Randalls, Todd Neese. I mean, it's basically, it's it's a pretty amazing lineup. So um, anyone in the Pacific Northwest who really wants to go to an outstanding Bigfoot conference, that's going to be Labor Day weekend in Kennewick. Um Beyond that, I, you know, just promoting my new book, which is called A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts. And it, uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon, but it's officially published or released on September 8th. And uh, I've been working on it for two or three years now. And it's just, it's the culmination of a lot of my research into different cryptids, a lot of never-before-published firsthand eyewitness accounts that I've collected from different credible sources. Nice. And there's a variety of things. Uh the Minnesota Iceman, the little people we were talking about, um, werewolves and other cryptid carnivores, sea monsters, giant oh. thunderbirds, pterodactyls, giant, everything we've talked about, even some giant insects and uh, some, at the very end, I even addressed some kind of the more creepy and, and metaphysical things that I've gotten involved in, uh, black-eyed kids and Oh, uh, wait, can you talk about that real quick? We have a few minutes because we're fascinated well, with black-eyed kids. Well, my uh, my colleague, David Weatherly, who we uh, just spoke at the Dogman Symposium, he's, he's yeah. the world's acknowledged expert on the Oh, yeah, I got his book. book. He's, yeah. he's, he's written about them. I've never dealt with them before, but I was contacted by a paranormal group in New Mexico, West Texas, who knew a guy who had a black-eyed kids encounter and didn't know who to turn to, and they... I guess they felt it was more of a cryptid or a creature, so they kind of turned him over to me. And I interviewed this guy at length on the phone a couple of times. Very sincere, incredible. He was a truck driver, had no interest in the unexplained, had never heard of black-eyed kids, thought all this was pretty weird. But he told me that he was driving down a remote, rainy road one night, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's raining hard in West Texas in the middle of nowhere. There's no one, you know, no civilization driving his truck and suddenly he sees three small figures walking down the side of the road. And as he gets closer, he realizes that they're all dressed the same wearing black hoodies and um, they look like young people. And he's thinking, Oh, maybe they had a car accident or something or they need help. And as he passes these three young people deciding whether he's going to pull over and help them, one of them looks up at him and he said that it basically, it was this figure had the palest whitest skin he'd ever seen and giant solid black eyes and Whoa. this kid this kid point, looked up at him and pointed right at him and he freaked out at that point because he just felt like there was something weird going on and was scared so he drove off and so i heard about this a few months after it happened and um so i, I tell the story in the book and then you know there's kind of a sad ending which is that he was discovered this gentleman was discovered his name is john jackson was discovered dead uh, in his truck just oh a few months after the sighting of mysterious causes. And I don't know if they ever actually did get to the bottom of why he, he was, you know, the, the cause of death. Uh, 
so I was in conflict as to whether it was tasteful or appropriate to include this story in my book or not, you know. Sure. Um, but but I spoke to a lady who was a good friend of his, very close to his, and she said that he would have wanted me to write about it. Uh, that's what he would have wanted. And uh, whether there's a connection to the Black Eyed Kids or not, maybe it's just a coincidence, but... Um, you know, he would have wanted his story told. So I did include that in the book, but it's a pretty, wow. pretty tragic and creepy story. Yeah, pretty intense. All right. So if people want to find you, your book is on Amazon. Do you have a website? Do you have social media? Where can people interact with you? Yes, my website is KenGerhard.com, K-E-N-G-E-R-H-A-R-D.com. Um, you can also, if you're on Facebook, uh, you can find me on Ken Gerhard, cryptozoologist, which is my fan page. People can message me or, or reach out to me there. Uh, sadly, I do not have a Twitter account. I'm still resisting that. I'm just got yeah, much, fight the power, too buddy. Much, <laughs> too much to, to juggle as it is. So those are probably the two best ways to, to get in touch with me. Okay, and the name of the book again. The book is called A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts. A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts. So look it up, guys. Ken, thank you for coming on the show. It's been fascinating, and I feel like I've learned a lot. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, some excellent questions, some really compelling uh, discussion, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Uh, any, awesome. anytime, anytime. Yeah, thanks, Ken. All right, thank you. Have a good evening. Okay, have a good night. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Thanks. Bye-bye. Feel better. All right, Ken Gerhardt, everyone. Uh, you learned something, Chuck? I could just kept going. I was so, <laughs> there's so many, and then when he told that well, at the it's, end, it's that a black eyed kids thing, that was that was creepy. That yeah, story was just creepy. It's such a super broad subject. My light just went out. Ugh. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, dark. but now I can't see anything. Who's that cute with the hoodie behind you? Uh, well, I am in the haunted bedroom, <laughs> as you know. Cheryl so. just made a face. Oh, when Ken That'd was be... talking about. Black Eyed that's Kids. I got all chilly and chills ran down my mm, spine. That seems weird. Don't <laughs> oh, that's weird. let them in. Yeah. By the, the way. What, that's creepy. Oh, that yeah. Was, that was that was really sorry, sad. Sorry, go ahead. By the I way, was going to say, by the way, we've had Ken on before, but it's been yeah, a long time. And you know, I looked it up. It was back at the end of 2010. It was back in the early days early of the Early days of the show. Yeah. Oh, wait, so. it was on, he was on my show. Remember? Yeah, he was also They're on your great, show, yeah. but he—I—I uh -huh. I didn't realize he had been on our show. That I, I mean, I thought it might have been a few years, but no, it six was a years. long time. It's ago. been a while. Well, so, yeah, Lots and to you talk know, I—I I always think that um, I'm not super interested in cryptozoology, and then I start talking to it's him. Fascinating, and yeah. I'm totally interested in it. I, you I know, it's—I gotta get that book. I want to see some of the stuff he's written there because that's some stuff that's not in all this. You know, a lot of books are similar you know because i have david weatherly's uh, mysterious uh flying whatever uh, i can't remember what it's called but it's got all different like flying uh, entities like thunderbirds and stuff like that and black eyed kids it's like a, a mix of all that stuff so that'd be cool to get his book because i want to read about the little people i don't know what it is with little people but yeah so chuck you're not going to be here next week huh no uh next week i'm going to be at the sense of samadhi right here in yorkville illinois i will be a meditation leader um, to take them to a group, uh, take them through a group meditation. Um, so it ought to be pretty fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I we we don't have final confirmation yet, but we think that our our good friend Patrick Keller will be sitting in for you, so he will ably fill your shoes. 
So what will Chuck be missing out on next week's show? Well, I have a little promo for next week's show right here in front of me. Um, We will be talking to Brennan Storr, author of the book called A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. And since we have a few minutes left in the show, I will read you what this book is about. There's a little promo on the back cover. It says, Embark on a fascinating journey into Revelstoke, Canada, a world-renowned ski destination with a well-kept secret. It has a long and active paranormal history just as breathtaking as its mountain views. Packed with stories of hauntings, UFOs, Sasquatch, missing time, and much more, a strange little place takes you into a small town full of thrilling secrets and bizarre encounters. Chronicling over 70 years of unusual occurrences in his hometown, Brennan's store provides exciting first-hand accounts of unexplained phenomena. Discover the sinister mysteries of Roger's past, the strange craft and spectral music of the Arrow Lakes, and generations of hauntings in the infamous Holton House. As a magnet for the supernatural, Revelstoke invites you to experience things you have never thought possible. I want to move there. Um, I want to hang out there. Yeah. But it's a meltdown, so it might be kind of cold in the winter. Yeah. Sounds like some really interesting phenomena. It's too bad you're not going to be there. I haven't done that in so long. You have to listen on podcast. I had to get it there. All right, go ahead. Yes. So, yes, that's, so, that sounds and exciting, enticing, wait. and creepy. Yeah, and then August 25th, we'll be talking to author Jamie Davis Whitmer, and she wrote the book America's Most Haunted Hotels, Checking In with Invited Guests. Ooh. And Jamie is a writer, traveler, and investigator of lost things. She lives in Atlanta and Savannah, Georgia. Investigator yeah. of lost things. That's, that's an interesting title, actually. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that one before. I no. haven't heard that one either. Very cool. Does it cool. say like what kind of lost things or does it not say? No. I guess we'll have mysterious. to wait to ask her. Ask it's her. a little mysterious. It's exciting. And there's a magazine out for... Yeah. What? Well, the last it's magazine off. we published July. was for July. Uh, we are working on August currently. So, so the 31st January. then. Well, sh- I, sh- I sure hope it's a little bit earlier than that, but uh, we'll see. My, you know my what? Schedule goes. If, it's, if it's the 31st, it's still August. It is, yeah. and that's why it's always out by the 31st of the month. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping more quickly than the 31st, but it will there definitely be There was no judgment out. here. You don't have my columns yet. I don't. I do well, not. Well, you... You said you were going to make uh, one of them out of the stuff that I was posting on Facebook, and I just finished that today. Okay, cool. The chakras. Awesome. Yeah, and Chad had a good idea for your metaphysical column, I think. I think I might have had another idea. I don't know if that was for dreams. No, oh, no that was, was for dreams. dreams. Yeah. But that you're going to use the chakras for the metaphysical column, I thought. Yeah, I can do that this month. Definitely. That is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. dreams, and then I can write the dreams. I, I don't know if I have any dreams, so I'll have to do your idea. Because otherwise we have to delve into my dreams and let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to go there. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I actually, one column, I've been doing the dream interpretation column for over a year, right? Yeah, definitely for over and a year. And only one column was ever my dream. And of course I disguised it so that nobody knew it was me. So. Nice. Yes, nobody knew. Nobody knew, except for Cheryl. I think I told Cheryl. 
mm-hmm. that it was my dream. You told me. And actually, it was just part of it was just part of a dream because it, it, my dreams are so super symbolic, right? That um, and there's so much there's so much stuff packed into them, and I remember them so clearly that mm-hmm. yeah, ah. <sighs> it takes yeah. me hours to analyze my own dreams. <laughs> oh, really? Well, yeah, because you. That'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it, to analyze your own yeah. dream? Because no, uh-uh. no, because I know all the symbols and stuff. No, as a matter of fact, that's one of the things I'm trying to encourage people to do. Like when I do talks and stuff, is to look into and analyze your own dreams mm-hmm. um, by using because because when you analyze a dream, let's get into this, shall we? Oh my God, she yelled out loud. <laughs> when we when you analyze a dream. The first layer you want to look at is you want to look at your own personal symbology because things may mean something to you that they don't mean to everybody else in the world. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I analyze other people's dreams, I use uh, symbols that are from the collective consciousness. Okay. Like that Edgar Casey talked about, the collective, right? So when I analyze dreams, it's always stuff from the collective consciousness because I don't know. Like if you sent me a dream check, I don't know your own personal symbolism. That's true. Right. And so it's easier for me to analyze my own dreams because I can always look at my own personal symbolism first before I looked at, at collective symbolism, if that makes sense. Yes, that make, no, it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so really, I mean, I love it when people send me their dreams. Um, and I love it when they then write to me and say, oh my gosh, this was right on. That's super cool. Um, but I do encourage people to look at, uh, try and look at it from their, the window of what their own symbolism and what things mean to them as well. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. I just had to tell you, here in town, this guy came into our store the other day. He's opening a oddity shop. I've always wanted to go. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to this, and he just—it's like a lot of he—he he does paganism and all this other stuff too. But he collects all these really odd things from all over, and he's moving into our town. I'm like, oh my god, give me your business card. I'm going to your store. Oh, so yeah, you're September. gonna be broke. You're gonna be broke. <laughs> Pretty have much. Any money. I know. I'm gonna go in September. It opens, so I'm gonna have to check it out. I have to tell you how it is. You like creepy so. things. Yes, I do. I don't know why it is. I just like creepy things. Some people are drawn to creepy things. I get it. Maybe I'll have like a stuffed black-eyed kid and I can take him home. Maybe you will. All right. So, um, do we have anything else we need to discuss, Ms. Cheryl? No, that's it. We're good to go. Mrs. Should I call her Mrs. Mrs. Knight Wilson? Yes, that is correct. Every time you say Knight, I'm thinking Knight Rider. Every time you do that, I'm just thinking Knight Rider. Well, I have to tell you, I often call you Cheryl Knight instead of Cheryl Knight Wilson, just because you're used to habit. Yeah, Yeah. lifetime. Yeah, lifetime of of, (laughs) but it is Cheryl Knight Wilson. You are married. So we call um, we we call we call Chad Chad Wilson Knight. He would love it if you would call. He wanted to take my last name because he loves the last name. Yeah, it's like Knight. Knight. You could be like Chad. You could be Michael Knight. I'm telling you, Chad. Change it. He would have it. if I let him. Probably. Oh, and Night Rider, it's best name ever. Man. <laughs> See now, when I when I married Tanner's dad, I wanted to. I kept my last name. Uh, he wouldn't uh. take it. Darn it! <laughs> and when I was pregnant with Tanner, I said, "Well, I want I want him to have my last name. I want the baby to have my last name." And Ken would have none of it. He said, "If it's a boy, I want it to have my last name because I want our name, my family name, to carry on." 
Carry on. And um and so if it was a girl, I was gonna be able to give it my last name, but it was a boy. Who's the greatest joy of my life? Anyway, Aww. all right. So um thank you everybody for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Yeah, Here thanks everyone. We love y'all. Sorry, I had to get that in there. I'm sorry. May I continue? Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We'll be back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific, except for Chuck, 9 p.m. Eastern, other times in the flyover states. Thank you. Y'all have a good week. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark, email us at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And until next week, remember this. If something looks out of place or doesn't feel quite right, it could just be something paranormal.